Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 614, NFL Week One Overreactions. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined us with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Week one of the NFL, how you feeling? It was eventful. It was definitely, I think, threw up maybe more storylines than you'd normally expect from the first, the opening week of the season. Killed, I guess in the case of Aaron Rodgers, killed one of what people thought was going to be the major storyline of the season. Immediately, yeah. immediately out the window, 75 seconds into his time as the starting quarterback with the New York Jets, but no, it was, there were some decent games. Uh, I'll give you my hot take. Pretty bad quality of football. I mean, I maybe to be expected now with a shortened mm-hmm. preseason that no one really plays in, but a lot of games with not good offensive, you know, performances, a lot of teams kind of just laid a goose egg um, most notably, I guess the the Bengals and the Giants almost literally laying goose eggs. Yeah, the Giants did. <laughs> I guess I do agree with you. I think there were a few teams who you would expect starting off the season. The Chiefs, like the Chiefs Lions game, was good in the sense that it ended up being close, but it wasn't a very good. game. But the quality wasn't great. Like you didn't I mean, you, you didn't come away from that being like these are two Super Bowl contenders. Obviously, the Chiefs are because they just have that inherent quality. But if that had been anyone other than the Chiefs. Like if that had been Bills Lions, because we in a sense we almost saw the same game played when on Monday night with the Bills Jets, where my takeaway was the same of okay the yeah. the Jets get a little bit of a break because you lose the starting quarterback on your opening drive, you, you can lower your expectations. But, but both offenses there looked pretty crappy too. Yeah, I mean the the, the Bills must be kicking themselves like how you lose a game. I mean, the fact that they scored their first points of the second half, basically his time expired on a game-tying field goal. If they'd even be able to, been able to string together one slightly better drive in the second half, they win that game. And that's, yeah. you know, it's a bad and, loss for them. And maybe we, we can go game by game, we can get into this, but the Bills pulled the ultimate move that drives me insane in the NFL. And that I get isn't how it works, but at some point, when the Bills just decisively drove down the field in that last minute and a half so easily, then come overtime, they go back to not doing like a no huddle offense and calling the same shit plays that didn't work for a whole half. I get it's not the same scenario, but at a point you have to say like, hey, look, we ran a pretty, pretty quick no huddle, short, quick passes, you know, five, 10 yard outs. It was working really well. Maybe we kind of stick with it and try and just drive down the field real quick, get maybe a field goal, and hope our defense can stop them. Like, no, let's do that same shitty offense we ran the whole second half where we either put Allen back for a seven-step drop or had a shit run call. Like, it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it is different because obviously the defense is playing differently in a scenario where they're just trying to stop you from getting a field goal and certainly from a touchdown versus – it's no longer end of game situation. And also they immediately got off with a false start 
So yeah. right off the bat, it was first and 15, not a great start to your overtime drive where you really don't want to be punting. My bigger critique of that decision-making is I understand taking the ball, it puts it entirely in your own hands, and the Bills of all teams that complained about the fact of never getting the ball in that overtime playoff game against the Chiefs, it would seem weird for them to then turn down the opportunity to get the ball. But in a game that finished 16-16, and in which you scored three points in the second half, you scored one touchdown in the entire game, you've struggled to string drives together, and defenses have kind of dominated the game, and you're up against a quarterback who is unconvincing at best, I don't think you take the ball first. I think you say, hey, Jets, if you can drive down the field and score a touchdown, good for you guys, but we're expecting we're getting the ball back here. Like, our defense is good enough that at the very least, we're going to be in a scenario where a four down scenario where we just need a field goal, which is a big advantage, but very, which they just excelled at two minutes before. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a strong likelihood we're going to force you to punt to us. And then we know only a field goal wins the game. So we start dealing with like a 30, 40 yard field to put ourselves in winning position. So immediately once they decided to take the ball, I was like, I think the bills are losing this. I didn't see them losing it on a punt return. Like that wasn't the bit, but well, you like, that's why you're not an NFL writer, Eddie, because that script wrote itself, because that's the guy that had all the videos going out on Instagram and TikTok about how he was duped into thinking he was going to be cut from the team. And then they told him he had made the team and had this whole thing with Salah and the other coach. And it was all over Instagram, his his actual discussion he had with the coach. And look what the script writers put in. Game winning touchdown week one. Yeah, and it was an exci- it was an ending the game kind of didn't deserve because it was such a dull game. It didn't deserve it makes it <laughs> seem like on the highlight package or the way people will talk about it, this dramatic Jets victory. That game deserved to have like seven possessions in the overtime and eventually a team kicking a field goal. Like that's how that game should have ended. <laughs> Crawling to a field yes. goal. <laughs> like literally Four missed field goals, and then eventually a team slotting one over from like 22 yards. That's the way that should have come to an end. But, but yeah, I mean, if from a Bills from the Jets' perspective, it's basically season over, right? Especially when you look at their schedule, they have such a tough upcoming schedule. It's hard. Is it's it? A, they just beat what a top three AFC team without them. Well, and don't not, say don't say it wasn't pull, the whole game without them. <laughs> not to pull the yeah, not to pull the Bill Simmons. Are we sure the Bills are that good after that performance? Like, I don't want to over... We, we had the same conversation in Premier League. I don't want to overreact to any week one results because it's so easy to do and history would tell us you can mess yourself up by putting too much weight on a week one performance. But nothing about the Bills looked particularly good. The only part of their game that really looked quite good was they could get pressure on the quarterback consistently, but then the Jets' offensive line is so bad that I don't think that I can even uh, sort of see that as a strength of the Bills. That's just a complete incompetence on the part of the Jets. I mean, or is the Jets' defense just so dominant? I don't know. I, I Josh Allen, I already put Justin Herbert on the watch list of you got to show us how good you are. And I don't oh, know. So- Listen, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I was going to pull the same move today. I would take Herbert tomorrow over Josh Allen. I am tired of watching Josh Allen fail in fourth quarter overtime games. And I'm tired of watching him make some of the worst throws I have ever seen 
a like elite quarterback make. A top three quarterback in the NFL does not make some of those throws he made on on Monday. They were some of them were terrible. No, they were, and he missed even he missed some wide he missed some sort of wide open receivers. Then obviously the the three interceptions. Uh, and last year we gave him the benefit, right? He was he was hurt, and it was kind of like one of those injuries that kind of was lasting all season. It was affecting him. I mean, what's the excuse in this week one? Because he did not look good at all. No, he didn't look particularly good. But again, nothing about the. I guess Diggs looked good. That's probably the only sort of positive you could really take from the Bills. But no, overall they didn't look particularly good. But I'll put Herbert and Allen on the same watch list. Of this is you got to prove yourselves this season. Like there has to be not just making the playoffs, not just winning a playoff game. You have to kind of come through in a clutch moment in a big game. Herbert tried, but he was running for his life on that last drive. <laughs> yeah, but even then, right? You can kind of criti- you can criticize him. Still, you get the ball back, and you're in a, you just need to get yourselves into field goal range. And they went back twenty five yards or whatever ended up happening. Wow. So <laughs> we can't. If you don't have the time to make a throw, sometimes it's it's not all on you. <laughs> no, but good quarterbacks kind of find a way, right? You know, like that. The, the reality is someone like. Tom Brady, you didn't, you never really saw that happen to him, and that's not just because of the quality. Well, you did in two Super Bowls. Not quite like that, though. I mean, you know, there's well, Justin Tuck would say otherwise. <laughs> but uh, and I that switching sort of gears completely. I guess the team, one of the teams that impressed me the most were the Dolphins against against the Chargers. Like I think from for them, Tua looked pretty good. Like that was a, yeah. an impressive performance from him, and then they just have so many weapons on offense that they're a kind of scary team to go up against. Yeah, I mean, Ty, it Tyree Kill just at a point kind of starts to amaze me that you know I I did originally think some of his success was being in you know in Kansas City playing with Mahomes. But now you look two seasons a row with in a row with the Dolphins, and uh, he is just lighting it up. I mean, you have to start to think. Everyone talked about Justin Jefferson last season, and that he just missed breaking the receiving record. But then you kind of look back, and Tyree Kill was pretty much on pace until Tua left, and he's left with no quarterback to basically get him the ball for several weeks. You know, so everyone was all on Justin Jefferson and kind of forgot about Hill last year a little bit. And now you look now that two is back. It's just he was just so open on some of those plays. And it's how can a guy be so open? And then you you watch it and you kind of watch the the critique of how he's getting open. And it's really impressive. I mean, he's really good off the line. He's a lot more physical than you think he is for being a little guy. Like if he can keep this up there, they are going to be a scary team because Eventually, you're going to have to double and triple them, and then you've got Waddle and other targets, and they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, they have too many weapons to just account. Like, you can't just focus on a single receiver and try and take him out of the game because they'll just kill you in other ways. And the big takeaway was then seeing Tyreek Hill do what he did and then seeing how much the the Chiefs struggled with their wide receiving core. That trade... Looks worse and worse, kind of by the week. Admittedly, they won a Super Bowl, so <laughs> you can defend pretty much any decision they made going into last season. 
But I mean, it's not as if had they not traded Tyreek Hill, they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl last year. I think they still won the Super Bowl. They maybe even win it more emphatically. So that doesn't look great. But the Chiefs get the, you know, the missing Travis Kelsey is, which became certainly as that game was close down the stretch, you 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 couldn't see the fact that he was not there. That the like safety valve that Patrick Mahomes needs just wasn't there. He had so many plays where you would have. Under normal circumstances, you know, he would have just found Travis Kelsey for, you know, a sort of minimum five, six yards and make the subsequent down more manageable or even pick up a first down. And instead, it was either a run play that they probably shouldn't have been calling, but they didn't really have any other options or an incompletion and or just Mahomes not being able to sort of even find an open receiver. So the Chiefs we'll wait for Kelsey to get back before I still, I make too much of an assessment of, of how good or bad they were. Yeah. And as bad as Kadarius Tony may be, I don't think any NFL wide receiver will go that long into the season with that many drops. So that was, you know, that's kind of an anomaly and I, he catches one, one of the five drops he has and they probably win that game. So I, I'm not too, too worried about them right now. Like, they'll find a way. If we're talking about them 0-3, 0-4, then that's a different story. But one game to start the season where things just didn't go their way, I'm not super concerned. Now, speaking of other teams who impressed, San Francisco 49ers, good win, beating Pittsburgh, yeah. who, are, who are, I still imagine will be pretty I still think they'll be a pretty good team come the end of the season. Like I think that's Are a they a 500 one. team? Yes. No. <laughs> we'll just <see. laughs> But no, regardless, that was a ass whooping of a performance. That was a thromping. It's our first thromping in the NFL season. And here's the question. So, you kind of put me on the spot in terms of my assessment of assessment of Justin Herbert. At what point do you have to kind of change your assessment of Brock Purdy. Like how many games, does regular season games, does he have to win in a row before you start to think, this guy might be kind of entering an elite class? Because fundamentally, I mean, he's won every NFL game he started aside from a playoff game that he was forced to leave. So you can yeah. almost say he's undefeated in the NFL. I mean, I think right now to me, he's still in the game manager mode. A very good one, like an Alex Smith level the Chiefs, you know, probably could have won a Super Bowl with him, but opted to move on and bump up the level to Mahomes. I need to see him have to win a game. You know, this season, I think he has to play a team where they're down. They're down 10 to start the fourth. And he needs to put together a few good drives and win them a game. Because, and this isn't a knock on him at all, because he hasn't been put in that situation really. But when your defense is basically winning you the games halfway through the second quarter, it's it, the pressure is off you, and well, we haven't just, seen we haven't seen the pressure yet. Okay, sorry. So he needs to throw a few pick sixes to keep the game close, so that he can come through down in the clutch, <laughs> and then you'll and then you'll praise him for like stringing together the game winning drive. You know, like oh, oh, sorry, he's so good. He's not he doesn't have any fourth quarter comebacks. Like what a what a criticism, you know. I, but it's like I Erling mean, I think Holl- at half it was was it twenty to nothing at half? Like I guess that's <laughs> going to be my new Erling Holland take. 
okay, he's scoring 60 goals a season, but how many last minute winners is he scoring? You know, like how, well, you kind of do say that you say, where is he in the championship in the champions league? <laughs> I know, but you know that that's going to, that's, I'm just going to focus on that. Throw out everyone can score when for Manchester City when they're winning three nil. But where are you when it's nil nil in the ninety third minute? That's what I want to know. And so yeah, yeah, that's the it's the Erling Holland test that now has to be applied to to Brock Purdy. A comparison I think few expected us to make on this podcast. <laughs> but the, the, I mean, like I I think now they are. I think they're the number one team in the NFL after week one. Yeah, I'm unless unless you want to say you have to put the Eagles up there just because they're defending NFC champions and they won. They still did what they needed to do. And it's only week one, so not overreact too much. I would be okay with you said if you said Eagles one, Niners two, Chiefs three, you know, with a not a reaction overreaction. I think if I had to make what I felt like were my honest, genuine power rankings which we don't do power rankings, right? We're famous for not doing power rankings. But so these are my not power power rankings. Is that what we're famous for? <laughs> yeah. When people walk around, they say like, hey, it's Frank. Hey, there that's he is. The, that's that's the, the guy who doesn't, doesn't do, do power, power rankings. rankings. <laughs> but kind of does, because he'll still do power rankings if you ask him to. I would go Eagles one, Niners two, and I honestly have to put Cowboys three. Like I think to put, to put the – like you're just – Otherwise, we're just putting in previous performances. Like I'm, I've got to do a season power ranking. And I think the Patriots are, you know, we had this in the season preview. I think the P- Patriots are actually a decent team and their defense is good. So whilst that wasn't the most convincing victory for the Eagles, it's still like, I don't think it's a, it's not kind of hurting your resume to only have a tight win against the Patriots. And so I, I'll put the Eagles one which is factoring in yeah. being reigning NFC champions in a way that I'm not factoring in the Chiefs being reigning Super Bowl champions. But I also think... <laughs> I yeah, also think this is why I don't do power rankings because yeah. you have no fucking rules and regulations on them. <laughs> I also think the difference is the Eagles are very much the kind of the same team that they were. A few changes, but they made some a couple strong additions, even though they lost a couple of important players. I look at them overall as still sort of the same strength quality of team with maybe the added benefit of another year of experience at the quarterback position, which can only help them. Whereas the Chiefs, I think you do have to look at them and say they've over the last two years, they've lost so many offensive weapons that unless Mahomes is spectacular or unless Travis Kelsey is there, you're really not looking at a lot of quality talent around them from an offensive standpoint. I mean, I think the issue, so if I were to do power rankings, although we know we don't do power rankings, I think you have to factor in the previous year and not overreact in year one. And that's kind of why I would still have the chiefs at three, because for me, the other factor with the chiefs here is you're missing. They were missing two of probably in most you know, rankings of experts, top five to top 10 players in the entire league. When your team is missing two of those in Kelsey and Chris Jones, that's a lot to be missing. Yes. So I, I, I think at that point, you can't really overreact to a game that they should have won to begin with had Kadarius Tony and I had seven drops in a game. So 
put the two of the five best players in the league back on that team against, again, a Lions team, which we all said is a playoff team, both of us said. You know, I I don't want to overreact. I still think they're probably the team to beat in the AFC with the Dolphins coming up really strongly. But week one, I'm not going to overreact yet. I will overreact enough to put the Niners above the Eagles and go Niners, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Dolphins will be mine. Yeah, I have the feeling we're going to get to the end of the season. And this Chiefs team is going to feel really similar to like how I see the Golden State Warriors now, which is you have to respect them. And in the playoffs, they're going to be a tough out. And they kind of are the team that you have to get by because it proves who you are. But fundamentally, they're not the best team and they're not the toughest out. And so, you know, I think they just hold that status. I'm, I'm going to say now I would be stunned if they won the Super Bowl. That's my overreaction. <laughs> what an overreaction. That's my what overreaction. An overreaction. To week one. I'd be stunned if they won the Super Bowl. Oh, man. I mean, my pick to win the Super Bowl was the Bills. I don't love that pick after what I saw in week one, but I would have loved it even less if they'd chosen the Chiefs. Yeah. I have to say, I, you know, I had the Cowboys out of the NFC, and that was good to see them absolutely dominate. Good, yeah. good in one way. That was how I could uh, sleep at night after seeing them beat the Giants. Was at least I picked the Cowboys to make the Super Bowl. And and speaking of teams that one of us was high on, good performance from the Browns. It's impossible not to have been. Yeah. I know they kind of. I hate the way now every team, everyone talks about like they own this team, they own that team, and but it's obviously a good matchup for them against the Bengals. We spoke about that in last week's week one predictions. It's a good matchup for them, but still their defense looked really, really good. And, you know, offensively looked better than they were last season. So, you know, I again, in the power rankings I have that I don't really have in the pre the, they've, they've moved up a couple spots compared to where they were in the preseason rankings. Yeah, and, and not a good showing, I guess, for for Joe Burrow in his first game since signing the biggest contract. But, I mean, they are notoriously bad to start seasons. (laughs) So, again, that's a team I'm not too worried about in week one. Um, Chalk it up to, like you said, the perfect storm of a matchup. Not being ready, Burrow didn't play. I think even you had said it in the preview that Burrow hadn't really played any preseason, so rustiness is going to be expected. You know, give that another few weeks before there's any real concern. The one that I was happy about and the one that I was upset about for me and how I felt about teams going into week one was love to see the Packers beat on the Bears. I was a lot higher on the Packers than than most people are, and I'm a lot lower on the Bears than most people are. And, you know, another week that Justin Fields did not look good and cannot throw the ball. And I don't care how great he is at running. Eventually, it's going to come back to haunt them. So that was good to see. But the one that disappointed me was the Seahawks. I had pretty high hopes for the Seahawks, and they lost against the Rams team that looked like they went out in the streets the week before and were just picking up players to get the ball to. And and it wasn't even close. It was not even close. So I agree with you. And going over reaction, did the Niners win their division in week one? <laughs> well... I don't know. The cards almost won that game. So no, but you know what I mean. Like real, realistically, like that's such a bad loss for the Seahawks, and we and you would just expect the Niners to. I mean, I guess 
look, maybe the Rams have a good performance against the Niners this week, and then we changed our thoughts on the Rams, but I can't really see that happening. But it does feel a little bit to me like that was the Seahawks' divisional chances gone in week one. And you know if you'd been in the Seahawks camp, you would have told yourselves, we can get off to a great start, easy week one game. The Niners have a tricky game in Pittsburgh. There's a really good chance here we're one game up on our, our main divisional rivals after week one. And it's like, oh shit, we're one week we're we're one game down. And now we've we could be two games down by the end of next week. And then that becomes a pretty big gap to close when you think that the Niners are probably only gonna lose four or five games in the regular season. I mean, so the Seahawks could be in week three or four and think we have to win out if we're gonna win the division which is not a position you want to be in. I know you're going to make fun of me for the Niners Nation uh, confidence, but I did legitimately, that did kind of feel to, in the same way, like I almost feel like the Lions may have almost won their division in week one too. The Packers looked good, but I still think the Lions are better than the Packers. The Vikings looked so bad that I then you kind of immediately have to throw them out from this, uh, the discussion. These, again, gross overreactions, especially when it comes to a team like the Vikings, who are, have shown us to be incredibly inconsistent. They might go on a seven-game winning streak now. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's... Well, you could say... I, I think you could say maybe about the AFC South as well. Jaguar, Jaguars won, Titans, Texans, Colts. None of them looked good. I mean, yeah. you could maybe say the Colts were the one that actually looked the best out of those three that lost just because Anthony Richardson looked decent for his first outing as a, as a rookie QB. And again, someone who, you know, people were worried wouldn't be able to throw very well and was relying on his legs and kind of did, but at the same time looked pretty good as a, as a first game rookie. But I think the Jags, that was kind of a statement put up 31, won pretty convincingly the rest of the division lost. It could be an easy road for the Jags here. Yeah. And even I'm not going to say they won the division in week one, but the dolphins, that was a big swing for them in this week. A, because they got a, an impressive win on the road to the Chargers, a game that they wouldn't have probably put preseason down as an expected win necessarily. Then you have the Bills losing a game that on paper going into the week doesn't look like a bad loss. But then when you factor in losing Aaron Rodgers, come the end of the season, that loss to the Jets is probably going to look really bad. And then the Jets immediately out of contention because of the Aaron Rodgers injury. So like things look way more positive for the Jets uh, for the Dolphins now than they did five days ago. Yeah, I guess going on to the Rogers injury, what's the move for him or for the Jets? Uh, for Rogers, it's going to be going into some weird contraption to try and heal himself quickly. Who knows? For the Jets, what do you do at quarterback? I don't think they – people are talking about like they – oh, they could explore. I think Wilson is okay. Like I don't think he's – He's a I don't, know, I don't know who – I don't know who out there they could is, – is out there that they could get. I got a list. You tell me. All right. And then Jacoby Brissett's probably going to be top of the list, I'm sure. But Jacoby Brissett is on the list. Um Logical free agent to consider, Joe Flacco. Spent no. his last two years there. No? No, I mean, I don't think he's better than Wilson. Okay. Really? I don't th- – I think one of us no. could be better than Wilson. And, and honestly, if you do that to Wilson, 
if you now bring in Joe Flacco, that's just a that's a telling Wilson directly that his career is basically over. I mean, I think you kind of already told them that. I think at this point you're just kind of being nice to him. <laughs> no, because with him bringing Rodgers in, you could sit down with him and say, look, this is we, we couldn't turn down the opportunity to have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time come to the team, and this is an excellent opportunity for you to learn from him over the next couple of years, and then you'll be in prime position to be our starting quarterback when Rodgers leaves. But now, and you, I feel like he accepted that and even understood it. But then if you said, okay, so Rodgers is out, now we're going to bring Joe Flacco back in. He was, he's not that good, but and, and he, you didn't learn anything from him last time he was here. But maybe you can learn a little bit more from him this time. But, I mean, is the, is the point of the NFL to be nice to people or is it to win games? Because I don't, I don't think Zach Wilson is ever going to be a good QB. I think you just move on at this point. But you got to. Sh- I don't disagree with you, but you have to tell me someone who I li- who I genuinely. Okay. Well, think I, is I better. gave you one name so far. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, he's, and no. Carson Wentz. Um, I mean, he's probably better than Zach Wilson. So Wentz's QBR last year was thirty four point four. Which was worse than Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like, is he maybe better? Perhaps. But I don't know if I'm willing to make that move. I, 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 I guess what you're, what you're hoping for is you strike lightning and get Wentz from like three, four years ago. And you bank on the fact that he has some experience in big games and making a run. I mean, they're going to have to bring someone in, right, anyway, just to be a backup. So there there has to be some decision taken there. But I think the thing you have to do at this point is, yes, bring someone like Carson Wentz in, make it clear he's the backup. And then if Wilson loses the next three games, then you make the switch. But you have at least given Wilson the chance to kind of have the starting quarterback position. And given what their schedule looks like over the next few weeks, you are setting him up to fail. Like that is the, the honest position he's in how about another old indianapolis colts quarterback matt ryan do you want matty ice no i wouldn't even consider that one all right then you have like the lower levels of second and third stringers who are available for that aren't on teams right now nick Foles, colt mccoy chase daniels mike glennon no none of them no okay We'll throw out Tom Brady. It's not happening. Well, we're sure. <laughs> I mean, I think simply for the fact that I th- it looks like he's lost 30 pounds already. Yeah, he's definitely lost weight. He doesn't look he's like gonna he's going to take one shape. hit and snap. <laughs> he doesn't look in game shape. So, yeah, that's. Yeah. How about this all time already? Philip fucking Rivers. I can't see Phil Rivers wanting to move to New York. I've got to be honest. That doesn't seem like a Phil Rivers type of place. He can get but, a whole airplane full of his children. <laughs> but I, if you told me again, and also I think you'd have to say to the whoever you're signing, you're coming in as a backup. And then from there, we'll see. And I, I, I also don't think that, um, I don't think that Phil Rivers would come out of retirement to take a backup position, even if he expected to eventually be starting. 
So here are three options that they could potentially trade for that are currently backups. Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold, or Case Keenum. Well, why why are the Niners trading Sam Darnold? So, because why do they need him? Well, I mean, what are the what are the what are the Jets sending the other way? Half their team? <laughs> what's what's this trade gonna gonna be? Um, so you have you have you have Winston on the Saints, uh, Darnold you said on the Niners, and Case Keenum basically playing a player coach at, at Houston Texans. Yeah, uh, I, I I think if you're the Texans, you entertain that option. I understand that Case Keenum is probably a good mentor to C.J. Stroud. He seems like a guy who, like, I remember reading uh, things about him that he's like he loves film and studying and this and that. So maybe he's a really good mentor for C.J. Stroud. And they don't want to lose that. But you're a Texans team that right now isn't going to do anything this season. And if you can pull like a second round pick for Case Keenum uh, to kind of keep building your team for next year and the year after, maybe get a second and a second to following or something like a crazy thing. It's I would entertain it if I'm the Texans. And I think Keenum is an upgrade from Zach Wilson. Yeah. Um, potentially. I don't know if I would trade for a player where I'm not absolutely certain that he's an upgrade. Like, that would be my other thing. So you're going to give up. Admittedly, they get the first round pick, right, that they lost the uh, compensation pick that they lost through the Aaron Rodgers because he will no longer – he won't play enough of the season. So they are – the Jets are getting a first round pick back. But I still – I don't think I would make a trade, even given that sort of extra asset you didn't plan on having. I would not make a trade where I wasn't absolutely certain that I was making an upgrade at the quarterback position. I mean, there's a name you also failed to mention, right? Who needs, who still gets thrown out for every available quarterback position? Colin Kaepernick. Why no, why, no, why? no. He doesn't get thrown out. He throws his own name out. I am so sick of this. At, at, at what point does someone have to tell him, like, dude, you're, you're one year younger than Aaron Rodgers at this point. Give it up, man. What age do you think he stops? Because he still is Never. mentioned. So you think he's going to no, be like he 70. is mentioning himself. So you think he's, he's going to be seventy-two? Himself. You think he's going to be seventy-two years old and throwing his name into the hat for potential free agent signing for a team that needs a quarterback? Yeah, it's it's insane to me. Like, where he's thirty-five years old, Eddie. He's okay, 35. so he's four. He's four years younger than Aaron Rodgers. Who gets stuck? When was the s- last time he played football? Well, yesterday in the park. But who who do they stop mentioning first as a potential? I'll give you three names, and I want you to tell me who gets who is who is the last player of these three to be linked to a quarterback position availability. Colin Kaepernick, Phil Rivers, Tom Brady. Who who is the last man standing of that trio of hey, someone needs a quarterback? Well, would Tom Brady come out of retirement? Probably Tom Brady. I mean, I think at this one, I, I think this one when Kaepernick's came came up, people were just like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> like, I don't think anyone took that seriously at this point. Well, let's see. This is when the, this is when they sign him. This is when they really consider him. Guy hasn't played football in seven years. I mean, if we we t- we discussed this was his last year, the year before when he wanted to come back. 
if he had been playing in some sort of competitive football and still in shape and and running an offense, maybe, like a slight maybe. But this is now a guy who hasn't played the NFL in seven years and is just sitting around being like, I'll play. <laughs> I bet you would because you don't got anything else going on. <laughs> I do agree with you. Like if he, if he was in the CFL – you could kind of make a legitimate argument of he's out there trying to put himself in the in the shop window and and show people that he still has something. I can understand from his perspective. Probably the honest assessment is that I don't think that would even really help him because people would still just just know even if he was MVP of the CFL every season, I think people would still just be like, "Well, it's Canadian football. Like they're three downs. They they like." kick the ball back and forth out of the end zone at times or no one really understands what's going on. How impressive is that? But it would, you could make a stronger case for him as a neutral. Let, let, let me put this out there. Andrew Luck, who is a hundred times better quarterback is younger and retired two years after Kaepernick and Andrew Luck's name isn't even a whisper. <laughs> Well, I do. I mean, it is surprising that Luck, but I mean, Luck has made it so clear, right, that he he's just done and he loves being retired and loves traveling the world and taking photographs or whatever it is he's doing now and not breaking his neck every season. So I think one is the Jets could call Andrew Luck and he definitely says no. So why put him in the discussion? Whereas if the Jets called Colin Kaepernick, he 100% says yes. But like to me also, it just he, Andrew Luck feels like a lifetime ago, and that's two years after Kaepernick last played in the NFL. It's yeah. just crazy. Well, Kaepernick did ach- kind of achieve more though, right? So it may it feels slightly more recent, just because I can. I, there's more memorable moments from the Colin Kaepernick career than there were. Like Andrew Luck, honestly, at this point, whilst he was incredibly talented, and that Colts team was close to being very good. Ultimately, I mean, the only Andrew Luck game I can really remember was that big playoff comeback. And I remember the game he just retired. <laughs> that, that was a preseason game, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I think that's the thing. Whereas Colin Kaepernick, I can, and this isn't just because I'm a 49ers fan, but at least everyone can remember the Super Bowl and the lights going out against the Ravens. Probably remember the interception against the Seahawks to lose the game with Richard Sherman catching it. Uh, the like couple of the performances against the Packers in the playoff games when he ran for a ton of yards, you know, there's, there's more moments that come to mind, which kind of make it feel more recent. I mean, what about like RG three? I'd much rather have RG three than Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> Although RG three, I was watching college game day this weekend and he's, I actually think he's pretty good on that. But he was he was like trying to talk about it, what an incredible atmosphere it was. And his line was something like, We're here in this incredible, the incredible atmosphere, this crowd. It's it's like the the greatest college, the greatest college football atmosphere in the world. <laughs> like trying to be like, I mean, yeah, you could just I get what you're saying, but at the same time, it's you can only experience that in one country, so let's yeah. not go overboard. I mean, Cam Newton. That, that's been thrown out a little bit. I'd rather Cam Newton than a lot of the names you 
mentioned. What what about I already mentioned before, but what about Alex Smith? The ultimate comeback story. He came back once from almost losing a leg. Now he comes back again no. and proves he's not a game manager. <laughs> After no, again with that Jets offensive line, it would be like a oh, war God. it would be like a war crime to stick Alex Smith in behind there. I mean that's there's I would not want to sit through. I would have to not. I would have to boycott every Jets game for the remainder of the season. All right. Well, I guess that's most of the NFL takeaways then for the for the for week one. Do Do you want to? I'll give you fifteen seconds to to praise Baker Mayfield. I know you I, love I mean, Baker. <laughs> He he was better than expected, obviously, and the and the the kind of cliff that's going viral of him telling the defensive back or whatever to put some weight on. Put some weight on. It's pretty good. Like it it shows. It's like we spoke about. It's the Baker Mayfield swagger kind of coming yeah. back. It shows but he's going to be a great broadcaster next year. <laughs> but we've been through this before. Like when he went to the Rams, his debut with the Rams was really really good. Like there are he is talented enough. That when the kind of all the chips fall in the right place, he'll put together a nice performance. But it just doesn't happen with the frequency that you need to be an NFL starter. So I'm sure if he manages to hold on to the starting position for the rest of the season, he's going to have three or four nice performances and probably a surprise win in a you know a big scenario, and people are going to start raving about him. But he's also going to have some horrific four interception performances and just some lame you know sort of terrible throws so yeah i think but it was one of the more to get a viral clip out of week one you know there are a few i think the the jamar chase his quote about calling the browns uh, elves elves (laughs) and then losing to them am i just out of touch am i missing something their mascot is there is an elf so i'm assuming that's why he did it brownie is an elf the mascot of the browns so I'm guessing that's he was making fun of the mascot. I thought there was like some double meaning to that or something, though. No, I, I, I maybe I'm also not in the loop, but I just assumed it was because their mascot is an elf, which is just okay. a, it's a kind really of corny. weird, it's kind of weird move to start like insulting the opposition based on what their mascot is. Like, it's kind of funny, but, but yeah, it's, you know, at least he sort of laughed about it, I guess, you know, in mentioning the fact that he called them elves and then that they lost and it was sort of embarrassing but still all right i guess that's kind of that then for week one of the nfl obviously next episode we'll do our all of our previews we both won our bets of the week we did both i mean it was a very similar bet of the week but yeah you had slightly more confidence in both of those teams but yeah we're off to a 100% 100% start in the bets of the week. We'll do the full summary of the standings of our weeks when we do the picks on Thursday. Yeah, sure we will. <laughs> no, we will. We've done, we've both done okay. You know, there was, we've, we've kind of, we were very similar. And in the couple that we disagreed, I think we basically went sort of 50-50 where we, yeah. like I picked the Browns, you picked the Bengals, but then you picked... Uh, the Saints. So, you know, we kind of evened out over some of those picks. Um, so it's a pretty similar record after one week, which I guess isn't that surprising. Yeah. And actually, uh, you know, we'll obviously get into it when we talk about the games, but a couple good games to look forward to as well. 
Um, we talked about the Chiefs getting off to an 0-2 start. They have the Jags. It's not an easy game to beat the Jags, so that's going to be a big one. Uh, you could say Niners-Rams could decide the NFC West <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the Seahawks lose, as I said, because the Seahawks have a tough matchup next week. So, yeah, it's it, it kind of could. Yeah, and, and Jets-Dallas, I think that's going to be uh, – where we really see what Zach Wilson's made of when he's getting rushed by Micah Parsons every play. It, it's a shame because that was the big matchup of the week. And then now that's just, uh, okay, let's see if see if the Cowboys can get another emphatic win against now a, a probably non-playoff team. You know, So that's a bit of a shame because it kind of did deny us what could have been the sort of the, the game to look forward to. But next, where do you want to go? We have certainly in my list, we've got three options. We've got tennis, we've got rugby, and we've got international football. Which one do you want to go to first? Oof. Um, none seem like they're going to be very cheerful conversations, <laughs> knowing <Hi>. you. <laughs> All right, let's, let's start with the tennis. All right, tennis, Novak Djokovic winning yet another Grand Slam. And Corey Goff 24. Winning, winning the U.S. Open, too, on the women's side with a slightly surprising win against Sabalenka, especially from a set down. Quick on the women's game, I guess I'll be negative and positive. I think they did Sabalenka dirty with that video of her smashing a racket in the kind of warm-up area. I don't know why that needs to be... I'm, I'm not unique in this take, but it feels like to me, if you go into a pri- what should be a private area to take out your frustrations post-loss, that that shouldn't be published. Like that, she, she should have the realistic expectation that where she is there, that she can smash her rack. It's not like she vandalized something, you know, like it would be different if she'd broken something else, but she just smashed her racket on the ground and then went and threw it away. She didn't even just leave it there for someone else to pick up. She very nicely went and put it in the in the garbage. So I think from that, a shame. She's just a big head case. It doesn't make her look great, but losing the final from the position that she was in. Corey Goff, the thing that bothered me about her was I'm tired of athletes with the chip on the shoulder, you don't believe in me stuff. If that's the like bulletin board material you need to motivate yourself internally, I'm fine with that. But the fact that afterwards her, her kind of speech included, thank you to the people that didn't believe in me, to those who thought we were, you were putting water in my fire, you were really adding gas to it. Shut up. The world is not doubting you on, on a daily basis. You're just like one of the up and coming young tennis players. People are going to pick some holes in your game. Other people are going to believe in it really adamantly. Not every player's post victory speech needs to include this one's for the doubters we've got it by now everyone's got doubters it bothers me do you refuse to call her coco cough is that what we're doing here (laughs) that's my just my mistake yeah but i I won't call her by her real name but so i i thought what was really funny i also agree i mean we've we talk about this all the time the no one believes in us chipping our shoulder thing when it's like you've like not her in particular, but like a random person will have like 
won majors before and it's like no one believes i can do this it's like you've already done it before like just shut up like get over it but whatever i guess that's what people need to to motivate themselves maybe they don't need to be so public about it the one that i thought was pretty funny was when uh they were discussing what she would do with the winnings and she said someone said i should pay off my debts and her response was i'm 19 i don't have any debts (laughs) <laughs> I kind of like that because it's kind of true, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, must be nice. You know, like you probably actually have the opposite of debts. You probably already made millions in your career. So it's a little yeah, sure. out of touch. You know, it's like a little out of touch statement. But I would assume most, you know, 19 year olds are just starting to accumulate their college debt. They're not quite, they're only one year in at that point. So it's a and little out of touch. <laughs> other tennis players in her of her age might have actually built up debts with not having, yeah. but she's been in a fortunate position. A, a lot of sponsorship deals because she's been high profile for basically from day one, and you know and wins. Had a, and and had a decent number of tour wins. Yeah. So yeah, she's in a very fortunate position. But I agree with you. But yeah, I think I, that's. I thought it was kind of more funny that like it wasn't yeah, like yeah. a bad thing she said it, but it was just like I don't have any debts. <laughs> I was like, oh fuck you. <laughs> And then on the men's side, Djokovic winning his 24th uh, major title. It ties him for the record, uh, sort of combined women's men's record. So he's almost certainly going to break the overall record. Um, I'll be critical. I mean, he was dominant. He's just in a different class to Medvedev. Uh, so, you know, there wasn't too much there. The, kind of the result was never in doubt in the final itself. And it's it's impressive just how much better he is than most of the other players on tour, even the, someone like Medvedev, who's a, a very good hardcore player. I'll also be critical of Djokovic's post-game antics. Um, the Kobe Bryant yes. tie-dye t-shirt. <laughs> we didn't need it. Unless you tell me, I know that they met each other and stuff. But I think he is a genuine big fan of Kobe. Who cares? I mean, yeah, he's into basketball. He's Serbian. Basketball's huge in Serbia. I don't doubt all that, but like, can we stop just completely idolizing Kobe Bryant in a way that no one did when he was alive? Like, I it's a take I love to have, but nothing makes people like you more than dying. Like, consistently, it it removes all wrongs in your life, and it makes people just think you were so so special. And that's kind of a nice thing. It's obviously nice to think fondly of dead people, but we can drop it now, right? We the annual Kobe Bryant celebration is done. It's fine. He was the, I don't know, seventh best NBA player in history. Sixth. I don't know. You want to sneak him into the top five if you want to. We don't need to do it. No one's doing this for, he didn't win number 23 and put on a Michael Jordan t-shirt. Why not? I bet you Michael Jordan, a way bigger hero of his than Kobe. You know, Kobe Bryant's the same fucking age as as Novak Djokovic, basically. So, you know, like that bothers me already when you're contemporaries. Obviously, it doesn't the same impact. Also, I don't really love the pre-planning all the t-shirt stuff you're going to put on. It would kind of annoy me if I was your opponent. He then, on top of that, had this special jacket with the 24 on, which he now It would annoy you, Eddie? You know what? Then go out and beat him. Yeah, fine. (laughs) He does that now for every uh, Grand Slam final, the extra like update the number thing. I could maybe tolerate Novak Djokovic doing it. If I'd been Medvedev and looked up to his box... 
and seeing all of those dorks with the same Lacoste 24 uh, <laughs> tracksuit top on, I might have started just wailing tennis balls into his box and seeing how many of them I could have taken out. Like that would have pissed me off no end that they were just like sitting waiting to slip on their custom made uh, like jackets after the win. That I didn't love. The speech too. Look, he's won it 24 times. Hard to give an original speech. Everything you've said, you've said. He acknowledged that in his speech. Just don't fucking say it. Don't. We don't have to hear again about how you come from a war-torn country and it was hard to play tennis as a kid and your parents sacrificed so much for you to get there. We know by now. You're one of the most famous people on earth. We know your story. You played tennis in a swimming pool when you were a kid. We know. it's It was tough. We don't, we don't need to hear it every time. Conversely... I genuinely did not know he played tennis in a swimming pool. <laughs> an empty one. Like when he was trying to find I get a place. It. I get yeah. it. <laughs> well, now you know. He'll probably now tell you 19 more times before he retires. Conversely, Medvedev, I thought, gave a great speech. I thought it was really cool when he said, I've won 20 times on the ATP. I've like won 20 titles and you've won 24 majors. Like I thought acknowledging that signet of like what a crazy and both saying, you know, one of the best things basically the sort of highlight of his career was beating Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam final. At the same time, he's only gone one of four against either Novak or or uh, Nadal in finals. So he was sort of admitting that maybe the record itself doesn't look so great. I came out of it thinking more highly of Medvedev and just bored to death of Djokovic. I respect his greatness, but I'm getting to the point where I've had enough. Like I don't, we don't need more Novak. It's, we might've had our fill at this point. Wow. And then on, on, well, (laughs) well, maybe you'll have something on the do the latest Duke of curse that's struck, which we've spoke about (laughs) off podcast, but Simona Halep and her ban uh, is now facing a four year ban for the, the the positive test that she had a year ago, basically now, which finally the decision was made took a long time. Uh, as always, with any athlete who tests positive, she is adamant that she did not take anything. I I mean, it's like, I kind of sometimes do want to believe the athletes. And when you read her testimony, I I don't know if you would call it testimony, but when you read what she says happened, it does seem to me, if what she's saying is true, and there's proof of it, that it's kind of a little ridiculous so she tested for apparently extremely extremely level like low above the limit levels of this one drug she was then tested three days before and three days after and it was not found in either of those tests and that's the only time in i think she said she's been tested like over like 150 times a year that she's ever tested positive for that one test. And she admitted that it was due to like some nutritional supplement that was spiked with this. And then as soon as they had found out it was spiked with it, they'd stopped taking it and, and gotten rid of it. If that's, if that's the case, go ahead, go ahead. So it's the only time she's tested positive for that substance. However, it's the second time in a sort of, three or four month period where she tested positive for something. So she had a positive test at last year's US Open and that which was just for something else. And then this Roxa Dustad or whatever it's called that she tested positive for this time around. Yes, it's the only time she's tested positive for that. But it is 
is she incredibly unlucky and she's just firing off multiple false positives in a short space of time? Maybe, but she. But I don't even think. But she she admits it's not a false positive, you know, because she had said it's you know most likely that it was in that supplement that she was taking that it was like spiked illegally in that supplement, which actually happens a lot. Like that's the thing that people don't realize is a lot of supplements like companies are pretty shady and will put stuff in it. Now you can make the argument, well, don't take those supplements. Take ones that are verified clean supplements. And I get that. And that could be true. But for someone, if that's really what happened and they are forthright and coming out and saying, look, I tested positive that one time. It was in that thing. As soon as we saw the test, I stopped taking it, never took it again. My fault. I should not have been taking that supplement that wasn't completely vetted, but it was a one-time thing. You had the test three days before. You had the test three days after. It wasn't in there anymore. A four-year ban seems extremely harsh for that, especially, and now I'm going to pull the Eddie, when you have athletes in the same sport being accused of sexual assault and abuse on their partners that don't even get any <laughs> type know. of suspension. I don't know if this is pulling an Eddie. I, I, <laughs> but the, kind so the of four- the- the four-year ban is like the maximum punishment they could have given her. Admittedly, it's a three-year ban from now because she's already missed a year while all of this is going on. She says she's going to appeal to the court of arbitration. I think there's a good chance they reduce it to, say, two years. So she has another year she's got to sit out. Fundamentally, a little bit like the Aaron Rodgers situation for obviously very different circumstances, given her age and her injury history, this does feel like an enforced retirement. Certainly the four years she's done because I think she'd be 35 then when she comes back and just very few people win anything significant after 35. But even another year out to miss tennis, she says she's training actively and ready to go if she is given the green light, but two years out of competitive tennis to then try and sort of make it back on tour. And especially obviously her ranking would be you know, as low as it gets, she'd get some exemptions and wild cards to some tournaments and she'd be able to climb the rankings rel- relatively quickly, but she's going to be unseated for everything she goes into. She's going to have the toughest path to in any tournament she could pretty much possibly have. It would be difficult to imagine her getting, working her way back up. So it's hard to tell because ultimately only she and the kind of people immediately around her will know if she's lying or not. Suspicion. I've kind of normally, when it comes to doping scandals, think no smoke without fire. And a little bit, even agreeing with part of what you said there. If she's being genuine and she took the wrong supplement, that it it can't be that hard to go through highly vetted supplement providers where you just go, I know for sure this one's okay. And no, it's not. So I, if I mean, you're not yeah. if you're not doing that then more fool you when you test positive. Like, I, I don't think that's an excuse then really at that point. Yeah. I, I mean, I just think sometimes these punishments are a little harsh for if she never tested positive for this thing ever again, did that one, let's say three day span that she took it. Is that the reason why she's so good? Or you know what I mean? Like at some point you just have to be, realistic in your thinking, you know, like, okay, she took an illegal supplement. Okay. Was she taking it for years when she was winning? No. What did she continue to take it after a positive that we know of? 
Yeah. If we're going on her word. Yeah. Did she take it after testing positive still? No, according to her. So, you know, you kind of have to judge these things a little. It's it's not like, you know, like in the Major League Baseball where people were winning, you know, home run championships and, and you know, winning games and making millions off of taking things for years. If this is a serious, oops, I made a stupid mistake, got caught and stopped, then it's, 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 ext- it's just dumb to me that it's a four-year ban. Maybe. If I were to be skeptical, which I'm prone to doing, though, I'd also say Halep's career has been severely plagued by injuries over the last few seasons, which in which time she's also kind of struggled on the court. And if there's any moment in an athlete's career where they are going to start doping, it's when they're, they're starting to be hit by injuries and they really want to improve their recovery time. And so t- taking something like this, which boosts your red blood cell count, and you think about how that can impact your training and recovery, it would make sense that that would be the moment in your career. Because otherwise, for a lot of doping in tennis, in a sense, a lot of it doesn't make too much, you know, like, okay, you can train a bit more, you can recover a bit better, but it's not a game in which sort of strength gains then lead to, you know, on the court improvements. It's like, you know, you don't really need to focus, okay, being faster helps, but it's not like, Roger Federer would have been in the offseason thinking, how can I get a little bit faster so that I can dominate more? You know, that's not the area, you know, you're thinking more about, you know, certain other elements of your technique or your tactical approach. So the doping won't necessarily have a huge impact, but when you're injured, it obviously would. So if I were to say, does it make sense that she only started doping in the last couple of years? Probably. She probably didn't need to dope when she was 23 and a pretty dominant player and, you know, her game was... At the, at the top of its form. All right. So then from where do we go now? You want to go rugby, which I guess would be pretty quick. Yeah, go ahead. Get, right. get your rugby out. So rugby. England got off to a good start. I did say last episode that I thought this is one of those times you're going to look at Argentina were slight favorites. Uh, England had a man sent off in the, in the third minute. Well, of the match. So to play 77 minutes with 14 men in rugby is a huge disadvantage. Smoked them. For people who (laughs) like to try and think of a parallel, I think it would be like in playing shorthanded in hockey for an entire game. Like it just completely throws out what you're, it's such a huge, much more so than like in football. I mean, soccer, maybe it would be the similar, like if you were able to remove a, you know, if you would play like in an NFL game and have a man advantage, it would also be huge, right? Same kind of idea. You should be able to, in rugby, create an overlap more easily. You should be able to play sort of more expansive rugby, which should have suited Argentina. Argentina didn't play well. England did. And it could. this could be the catalyst to England improving their performances and having a lot more confidence as the, as the World Cup goes on. Most of the other major nations had fairly easy games, took care well, of business. Except France. France on the opening night. <laughs> beat New Zealand. It was trickier than I think uh, maybe some people expected, even though it's New Zealand, it's not like the best New Zealand side of, of recent years, but eventually France kind of wore them down. Um, and certainly that means they should win their group, which makes things a little bit easier for them. But was, big, was South Africa favored over Scotland? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think like 11 points put it in oh. sort of NFL perspective, like fairly heavy favorites. I went to, I was, I got some free tickets to the Australia 
Romania match on Saturday night, which was in 35 degree heat. Um, it wasn't the greatest game of all time, but it was still nice, you know, like any chance to go to a major sporting event like that, especially for free, you kind of, kind of can't turn it down, but, and it was enjoyable, but I'll say to the Australians, they didn't exactly bring the best atmosphere I've ever experienced. Pretty quiet bunch, which I wasn't expecting. I thought I was, even though it wasn't, you know, it's, it's not the type of game that necessarily is going to generate an intense atmosphere within the stadium, but I, I sort of would have expected more from them in terms of noise. But the real issue, France, which looks, I mean, they've, when France hosts sporting events in recent years, it's not gone well. Even in the Argent, England-Argentina match, they had huge issues with not being able to get people into the stand, into the stadium quickly enough and massive lines outside. About 30 minutes into the match, I went to buy our second set of beers and was told that the beer was no longer available because with the 35-degree heat, the lines were too hot, as in the lines for the beer, and oh. it, was, it was foaming too much, and so that they weren't able to pour beer properly. And so no more beer, which was the oh, only, only alcohol available, <laughs> which, as you can imagine, caused um, a lot of unrest, which was made worse by the fact that you could also order the beers or order your food and drinks via an app and then go and pick them up. So there were people turning up being like, hey, I bought nine beers, and then them saying, we can't serve beer anymore. It's not working. Then the person saying, can I get reimbursed? No, we don't have the facility to reimburse people. (laughs) So all we can do is offer you something to the equivalent value. So literally turning to people and being like, instead of that nine euro pint of beer, we can offer you three bottles of Coke zero. So like, Oh my God. And people were losing their minds. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) It was not far from a riot. One guy, literally, the police came and took him out of the stadium because he was so unhappy. At one moment, I was speaking to, I guess she was sort of the manager for the section I was in. And I was saying, I don't understand, like, why can't this work? She said, oh, it's not the normal beer we have in the stadium because the official beer sponsor of the World Cup is different to the beer we would normally have. Ooh, and so, what beer is that? Let's let's put that. It's got to be Heineken or something. No, actually, the official beer of this World Cup is Asahi, the Japanese beer. So actually uh, kind of a nice, nice beer. I can guess yeah, norm- when you can fucking get it, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't really understand. As someone who worked in bars for a while, I don't really understand that. Like the keg is the keg. Like it doesn't. The board, the one cheap lager pours the same as the other cheap. Unless you tell me there's a problem with the kegs themselves, I don't really understand the kind of science into like why it wouldn't pour as well. That bit I don't totally understand. But at, when she was explaining this to me, a, an Australian guy behind me just interjected. He was like, "Don't blame the fucking heat or the beer. You're just you're just all fucking disorganized. The French are fucking disorganized. You're all a fucking disgrace." And then just walked off. I mean, it was tensions were high. This is amazing. Had I not had free tickets, I think I would have been more bothered by the like if I had paid 350 400 euros and then you're getting this experience, I think I would have been more annoyed than I was. What made it worse? So then in the, I just was like, well, we'll just drink non-alcoholic drinks. But it's 35 degrees, so we got to drink something because I'm roasting here. Go back 
60th minute of the match to buy some more drinks. Then get told, well, because we can't serve beer anymore, and most of the time people buy beer, we now don't have enough fridge space to hold all of the drinks we need to cool down. So now we can't serve, we don't have any cold drinks left. So you can buy a water or a Coke or whatever you'd like, but now it's room temperature, 35 degree water. Would you like to buy that? At that point, I was, I then did say this feels mildly irresponsible given the fact that literally the weather was so hot that it was like a severe weather warning for Paris. You know, like advise, don't go outside unless you absolutely have to. Schools had been canceled on Friday in Paris because of the temperature. I mean, it's warm enough that the players themselves, the game is stopping once per half to allow them to take a drinks break mid-game, which in rugby to me feels slightly less necessary given the fact that they can have something to drink like every time a penalty or or a conversion is being uh, attempted. You know, there's plenty of opportunities to drink throughout a rugby match without necessarily having to you know, organize uh, a clear break and play, but regardless, and again, no sympathy from these people working. That's what bothered me the most is there wasn't a, we realize this sucks, but unfortunately, like circumstances are outside of our control. It was just, we don't have any cold drinks, but you can buy water if you want to. (laughs) Okay. No, thanks. Well, maybe after the 50th person screamed at them and called them obscene names, (laughs) they kind of just stopped being nice. It's possible. It's possible. There was at that point more just disbelief and people laughing at the scenario that they were in. And again, for me, free ticket or you live in Paris took me 30 minutes to get to the stadium. I wasn't that bothered by it. All it did mean was that we left the game early. We left with like six minutes left because it was like, because <laughs> I was just thirsty. Yeah, it worked out very smoothly. But if I were, had flown all the way from Australia, if I was paying a premium for my hotel, my travel, all the oh matches that I was attending. And then when you go in the stadium, that's the kind of experience you have. I'd be furious. Like I'd be asking for a refund. You know, like it would be, it would be really bothering me. So it seems like what happened was that people were drinking more than normal because it was so hot. And that oh, the. Oh, you've looked this up on the. Is, yes. They, 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 did they have to publish an excuse? Oh no! So the tournament, the the direct, who is it? This I think it's the director, tournament director has come out and spoke about it, and he said there was we know there was no beer shortage, there was no lack of beer. It was a series of, of unfortunate difficulties. We're going to be working with France, the venues, and our partners who have done an amazing job helping to address these challenges to improve the situation. So what it seems like happened was that people were drinking so much that all of the kegs that were refrigerated were like done super quickly. So then when they went to put in the backup kegs, those were not cold. They were at like 35 degree room temp because it's so hot. And when they hooked those up, they were like, you couldn't pour them because they were just so hot because they weren't refrigerated. So it was like kind of, they did kind of run out of beer in the sense that they ran out of refrigerated beer because they yeah. didn't expect people to drink so much. So there be wasn't like a, a beer shortage. There was, there was a, a shortage of beer that could actually be consumed. There was other beer there, but you just couldn't drink it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I guess I, I guess at that point, you're just, you're, you're, you're making sure that you don't blame the sponsor. Yeah. I, mean, like, I guess why the, you say that. 
that does feel a little bit like semantics, right? It's like going to a restaurant or you come over to my house and I've cooked some something and be like, oh, do you have any more of that? And I say, no, but I mean, if you gave me four hours in the kitchen, I could cook some more of it for you. Like yeah. I haven't run, I haven't technically run out. It is, I am capable of making more if I needed to, but no, all of the cooked and prepared version of this meal is now done. But how is, the thing I don't get is, right, you should be able to estimate. Like I very much doubt that Australia versus Georgia was breaking the world records for the most amount of beer being drunk. And I can certainly say in the people around me, the majority of people were not buying beer. There were a few Australians going through it pretty consistently, but also not at, <laughs> not at like a rapid rate. People who were drinking like three beers a half, let's say. And they say they're pints. They're not really pints. You know, it's it's Ooh, like a 40. It's, you're, you know, like you're like 10%, 15% shy of a pint. But you think that they would be able to do a pretty strong, easy calculation of if we sell X number of tickets, how many beers do we sell? And maybe that's more than a normal France match because other nations might drink more beer during a match. But you'd think they'd have information, not the first World Cup. So they think they say, how many beers did we sell at the last World Cup four years ago on average? What was the drinking rate like that? How many, hey, uh, our Australian colleagues, how many beers do you sell in a stadium during a normal match? Well, Eddie, is, the director said the fans drank a lot more. We thought we had sufficient supplies based on previous records and attendance, but those <laughs> records were shattered and broken. I don't believe it. I don't believe him. I want to see the numbers. I don't believe him. <laughs> I want to see it. I don't believe get it. Get them on. See if we can get them on the podcast. We can get the yeah. number. Tell them we don't actually want to talk about anything but the beer numbers. Just, just, yeah. Tell them to come with an Excel spreadsheet and we'll share yeah. a screen and we'll just go through it. I want to see what data were you using to estimate how much beer was to be sold. And again, maybe I was in the sober section of the stadium and I didn't realize. Maybe this is possible. But then I don't know why they also ran out of the cold kegs in my section of the stadium if that were the case. And also they ran out. Let's be let's be generous. Let's say that people were drinking two hundred percent more beer than normal. That would be huge, right? If they were going shattering records, doubling the record would be incredible. They ran out of beer in the first half. So even if they had thought to themselves, you know, if they'd run out with like ten minutes to go, I think that excuse flies. But to run out in the first half, you can't say. No, we handled the situation well enough. It's just people were thirsty. Like that doesn't that doesn't work for me. But hopefully they learn. You know, that's 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 all we can that's all we can say. Cause it's only gonna get worse because if that had been Australia against England, a lot more beer oh, would have been consumed. Oh boy. And know? a lot more fights. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, people a lot I, I mean, there weren't many Georgians in attendance. And here's an interesting thing. So I was was there. The atmosphere wasn't great. Mexic uh, um, French people love the Mexican wave. They just love it. It happens at like every stadium you go to. It really gets them excited. It's then kind of a novelty for foreign fans because they're like, oh, this is strange. But any French rugby match or football match you attend, they're going to try and get the Mexican wave started probably six times a game. And it's not like a sign of boredom. It's just they find it really, really fun to watch a Mexican wave go around. But they also then, mid-game at one point, lack of atmosphere, they broke into the Marseillaise, the French national anthem, the sort of French neutrals in attendance. And I thought that's a little disrespectful. 
you're at a World Cup match. It's two other nations playing. Okay, you might want to try and create some atmosphere. But then like cheer for Georgia or cheer for Australia, come up with something. But to like break into your own national anthem at a game that your nation is not involved in, just kind of an asshole move. Eddie, I got a great trivia fact that you might like. Because I've heard you call it the Mexican wave before. Do you know where, in fact, the Mexican wave actually originated? Okay, so I mean, people call it the Mexican wave because at the Mexican World Cup, World Cup is the first time many people saw it. Yes, and so that's why we don't like think it's a Mexican thing, but that's when it really sort of took off. It is not. Where do I think it was invented? I'm tempted to say somewhere in the U.S. It is. So even more specific to you, though. Okay, so then it's one of two places. I'm going to guess it's not Salt Lake City. So somewhere in so at a San Francisco related sporting event, is it the 49ers? Is this where the Mexican wave started? An Oakland Athletics game. Okay, nice. First reported wave. I mean, you have to admire the first person who got a wave going. That was some achievement when no one really knew what was happening. That must have because it is. If you go to a, a match in France, you'll watch people try and start it, and it takes a while to like. It's like pulling on a uh, like a lawnmower cord for a while. Like you've you've got to you got to attempt it like seven or eight times before it builds enough momentum to kind of start moving around the stadium. The first person, kind of a remarkable thing to think of how they got it going first time around, unless the state, unless someone involved in like the marketing team or something at the Oakland A's tried to plan it out and people were being instructed as to what to do. But like if just you and me turned up at a stadium and, and then said, we got this cool idea of a thing to do, like we all stand up and sit down in sequence so it looks like a wave going around the stadium. How do you get people to catch on to that when they don't know what it well, is? Eddie, then you know what? You got to get crazy George Henderson on because he was a professional <laughs> cheerleader and was seen by national TV audiences as instructing the crowd to perform the wave. Okay, so it was a kind of pre-planned thing. So that's less surprising to me. But all right, now we've given our listeners. That will be one of those facts that people can now, in the same way that we get the overshare of where the first high five was. You know, People love to talk about the origin story of the high five. Maybe the next big origin story discussion is the Mexican wave. Yeah. Oakland A's against the New York Yankees playoff game. All right. Not bad. And then finally, I guess, international football we can do kind of quickly. Uh, England ruined their perfect record on Saturday against Ukraine with a one-all draw in Poland. Southgate is facing heavy criticism for that performance because of the lack of adventure that he showed in the tactics it's like classic Southgate and the inclusion of Henderson and Maguire in the starting lineups Maguire not not playing for Manchester United Henderson oh oh he played for Manchester United (laughs) they they subbed him in and instantly got a goal scored on (laughs) oh well yeah and you know and so that loyalty seems to be going overboard I think it would be very difficult for him on the back of the this week's performance. I think if Maguire is in the squad next time around, I think rightfully people can just be yeah. baffled. And same with Henderson. And then the decision to not sub Henderson off when England were kind of looking, you know, were looking for the winning goal against Ukraine and instead take Jude Bellingham off, a player who's making 
a habit at the moment of scoring late goals for Real Madrid. And that's the player who you take off and you leave Henderson on, who kind of doesn't create a lot against a Ukrainian team that we're happy to sit back and protect a, a one, you know, a get the draw. And you're sort of dominating possession and territory. It's sometimes Southgate just kind of doesn't help himself. This is what bothers me is I can understand setting your stall up sort of defensively in knockouts, in the major tournaments, in knockout stages and saying, this is the sensible way to play. Historically, this is the way you win matches. I can understand that. But when you're playing, you have a perfect record. Qualification is basically assured already. Show some adventure. Try out. See if you can play a nicer style, a more attacking style of football and see if it works. Like these are the opportunities to do something a bit more creative because you're obviously not going to mess around you with your formation in the quarterfinals of the Euros against France. You know, so that's the bit that bothers me about it. He just kind of can't get out of his own way almost, even though he has been so successful as a manager. And the loyalty to some of those players also is difficult for me to, to sort of understand. And then made worse, Maguire, you know, didn't start against Scotland in the friendly yes, last night, subbed on and scored an own goal. So, I mean, like there's, I feel sorry for Harry Maguire to a certain extent, but then I also feel like if you feel sorry for him, Southgate's come out and defended him. If you really feel like he's being picked on, st- stop picking him because you're actually, you're not helping him. Like, this is like a kid getting bullied in school and, you know, like, hey, f- everyone stop making fun of Frank. Okay, Frank, now you're going to get up in front of the entire class and do your... And piss your pants. (laughs) (laughs) But nobody make fun of him, all right? We're going to all show that we can support Frank. Do your thing where you shit yourself. (laughs) (laughs) We we have a friend who could vomit on command. (laughs) Did you have that friend? I did not have that friend. <laughs> it was pretty good. But yeah, that's that would be my, you know, that's the thing that sort of bothers me a little bit about this is just, you know, we could, there are players deserving of a call up to an England, the England team, and it would frustrate me if I were one of them. I don't know what more you can do at a certain extent when players, I think Henderson should retire. I think if you've made the decision to go and play in Saudi Arabia, you're fundamentally retiring. We had the whole. Discussion. I was going to say, isn't that doesn't that mean you've retired? <laughs> I think so. Really, you know, you've made that decision, and for him to kind of want to still play for England, if you wanted to still play for England, then you should have stayed in Europe and played, tried to play in one of the top leagues in Europe. That's the decision you have to make. Because even if he dropped to the Championship, I would have said that's your England career is over. Like we don't, we're not going to consider a player playing in the second tier of English football for being in England's you know, the best selection of England players in an area of the pitch where England have a lot of options available to them. Same central defensively, you know, you have someone like Tamori doing well in Syria, playing Champions League football, and he can't get a start over Harry Maguire, who can't get a start at the club that he plays for. Like this is, it, you know, if you were him, you I'd literally have to sit down with Gareth Southgate and say, okay, so I just can't do anything here. Like, you're, you're you know what Harry I mean? Maguire, no matter what. In today's social media world, where everyone wants to be everyone else and everyone flip flops week to week, I admire Southgate for sticking to his guns and being who he is. He is Gareth Southgate, and that's all he knows, and that's all he'll be—stubborn to a fault, Eddie. 
you got to admire that. <laughs> I do kind of admire it. And the loyalty to players, I understand. Maguire has been a good performer for the England team. I would say Henderson's a bit different. Henderson had some good performances in the World Cup. Um, but Henderson has never been like a standout player for England, whereas Maguire had periods where he really was, I mean, especially obviously during the World Cup in Russia, he had moments in his England career where he really has, you could say he was one of England's best players. Henderson's always just been a kind of a good water carrier in the England team and done his job. And time to move on. Like, let's just, let's let these young, talented players show what they can do and give them the opportunity to learn and fail in in situations that aren't that important. You know, like play them in a somewhat tough environment away to against Ukraine and see how they do. Because if they lost that match, it really wouldn't have mattered. So, you know, that's the thing that, that just bothers me about it. Elsewhere in international football, I guess there wasn't too much, nothing too eventful occurred. Uh, Germany beat France last night in a friendly, but I don't think that means much. Mbappe didn't even play. So... I have to see. At least Premier League football, this is a good weekend. NFL season back, Premier League, all the big European leagues back, Rugby yeah. World Cup. This is when really have a lot to look forward to. This is when shit gets real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sunday night, I'm going to have England playing in the Rugby World Cup. The Niners playing pretty much. I mean, there's going to be some overlap between those two games and Premier League football on the Sunday. So I'm just going to have wow. non- nonstop entertainment. Yeah, I'll have the same thing, but at 10 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not quite the same. <laughs> All right, well, anything else? Maybe some non-sports topics? Um, I haven't watched much TV, so I don't have any TV or movie recommendations to make. Uh, no, I've been uh, kind of pushing through the Americans. I'm about halfway through season one. Oh, okay. You're not really pushed through it that much then. They're long up. Ep- they're 45 minute episodes. <laughs> sure. But we've been speaking about it for like two weeks. I would have expected you to be on to season two by now. No, actually, I'm, maybe I'm like episode 10. I watch, I can sometimes watch like one a day in between. Cause like the only thing that sucks is I'm at a point where I watch television in clips now, kind of like nice. you, but not welcome, YouTube variety. Welcome, welcome to the club. <laughs> but, you know, like I'll have lunch and I'll watch. 20 minutes during lunch and then I'll go home and watch 20 minutes. This is step one. This is step one. (laughs) But I'm watching the episode in chronological order, Eddie. I'm not just watching a random clip. No, but I do that too. But in a clip version on YouTube, you're, (laughs) you've taken one step in my direction, you know? So you'll, you'll get there soon enough and you will realize the advantages of consuming content in clip format. Yeah, and then um, I still have been watching Ahsoka, which I wish you would watch it just so we could make fun of it, but you are not, so it is unfortunate. No. There has been a lot more lightsaber fights, Eddie. I don't know if that's something you loved about the Star Wars franchise, but people are very excited. They're getting back to what made Star Wars great. And then you go back and watch those original lightsaber fights, and they're fucking awful in the original Star Wars. So if that's what made it great, that's a low bar for those movies. I was never a huge lightsaber fan. That doesn't stand out to me as like my main. I mean, obviously there is the iconic 
the couple of iconic lightsaber fights from the original trilogy. But I wouldn't say that's what made Star Wars great. There's good moments involving it, but most of it was the plot and the character development and all that kind of stuff, not guys turning on fancy swords. Yeah. The, the only thing I do I want to say I think it's pretty funny is um, I, I won't fully spoil it, but there's a character who a major character who comes back into this show and the person has been de-aged. The original actor has been de-aged kind of like how um, I guess, spoiler alert for those who aren't caught up on Mandalorian when Luke Skywalker comes back and he's de-aged and people had a freak out. This de-aging isn't as noticeable. Although I thought the Luke Skywalker wasn't even that bad. It was slightly noticeable, but it wasn't crazy. It is crazy to me though, that star Wars fans will complain that a character's de-aging looks slightly unrealistic when some of the main characters in the show is a fucking green woman with tendrils coming out of her head that look like styrofoam. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, some of these like cartoon characters on a live-action show look so fake and no one says a thing, but they want to rip apart like an amazing technology that is pretty crazy when you think about they can legitimately de-age someone on a television show they're gonna rip that apart but not how stupid some of these characters look (laughs) yeah i mean star wars has never exactly been the place i would go for realism you know i don't like the de-aging because it does feel like it just looks weird and it kind of takes me out of it but yeah again i'm not being critical of it in the you know like the, the overall experience with star wars is not exactly one that and especially when you look at the original trilogy, where I know for its time it was impressive, but you go back and watch some of that and be like, well, that looks very stupid. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess with that, we'll call it a day. Sounds good. See ya. Talk to you later. Cheerio.